Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Oh, we're excited to have Kelly and Judah home for a little bit, but also to hear the wonderful testimony. So stop by and visit them after uh, and what's happening. Well, we're continuing our series today, Dear Church, and we're down to uh, the second to last. Next week, we're going to finish up this series with the last church, the Church of Laodicea. And uh, how many know God pays attention to his church, right? There's a lot of things we get distracted by, our phones or whatever, and we get distracted by the news or the sports or what's happening in politics. We get a lot of distractions and pay attention to, but the question is, what does Jesus pay attention to? And as we've been looking in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3, what we find is Jesus pays attention to his church. Jesus loves his church. How many of you know that? Jesus loves his church. He does. I just want to, I want to start right there that Jesus loves his church. In fact, Ephesians 5.25, Paul is talking about the responsibilities that, that, that husbands have towards their wives and, and how they ought to treat them. And what he does is he uses an example of Christ and his love for the church to, as an example of how a husband ought to love his wife. And it says this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Look at this. And gave himself up for her. Gave himself up. So as we look at these churches, and I know some of these messages have been really hard. You're like, whoa, Jesus, what are you saying? You have to go back to understand the whole foundation of it all. Is Jesus is not speaking this out of judgment. He's not speaking this out of a heart that wants to harm. But rather, he loves his church and he wants what's best for his church. He loves his people and he wants what's best for his people. And he realizes that he wants to bring encouragement, but also sometimes he has to bring correction because it's that correction that helps him say, listen, I love you enough to not leave you doing the things that are harming you. Parents, how many of you do that, right? Yeah. That, and that, that's what it is. And so uh, what we're looking at, we keep this in mind as we're on the next church in the delivery route, Revelation chapter 3, 7 to 13, details out the next letter, and it's the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Now, we're not talking Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, okay? Home of the Eagles and the 76ers, and, you know, we're, we're not talking about the home of the Phillies. We're, we're talking about Philadelphia that, that was the first Philadelphia out in, in, uh, in what is modern-day Turkey right now, but was a part of the Roman and Greek empires at the time. It was about 20 miles south of Sardis that we looked at last week. And to understand, let me give you a quick history lesson. Do we have any people that love history? Anybody love history? Yeah. Let me give you a little history lesson. The city was founded by the king of Pergamum. We talked about Pergamum, and he was a guy by the name of Eumenes II. And about 150 years before Christ lived, there were two brothers, Eumenes II and Italus II, and Eumenes went away on a journey. And while he was gone on a journey, reports came back that he had been killed. Rome didn't like him, and so reports came back that he had been killed, and the people that were around encouraged his brother Italus II, listen, you need to be our king, you need to assume the kingdom. So he did. 
But the problem was his brother was not dead. Those reports were not true. And so his brother comes home. Now, if you know anything about when brothers take over kingdoms, that can cause some conflict and problems, can it? Usually that results in some kind of a uh, conspiracy and something like that. But that's not what happened. In fact, Italus II yielded the throne back to his brother. Well, Rome wasn't happy about that. They suspected Eumenes of disloyalty, and so they came and they tried to twist Italus's arm against his brother. They wanted him to turn against his brother, and they were trying all of these different tactics, but Italus wouldn't give in. He wouldn't give in. He wouldn't betray his brother no matter what, no matter what Rome said, no matter what anybody else said. He was not doing it. He, there was an enduring relationship with his brother, and so he was given the nickname Philadelphus. Philadelphus. Why? Because it means the lover of brother or brotherly love. That's where the, the term Philadelphia comes from, the city of brotherly love. Not from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but rather from this story in which there was a brother who would not turn his back, who remained loyal to his brother. And the loyalty of their relationship is clearly seen as a quality of loyalty that we're going to see in this church, the church of Philadelphia. Revelation 3, verses 7 and 8 open up the letter to this church, and it says this, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I place before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Now, I want to pause right there before we read the rest of this letter because in typical fashion, as Jesus is writing these letters, there's, a, there's usually a pattern that happens. The pattern is that Jesus writes and he declares who he is. He shares a little bit about himself and his character, and it's specific to something that's going to help or something that's going to speak to what's going on within that church. Usually he follows this by a word of, of encouragement or commendation. There's a couple of churches that didn't get any of that. The one we looked at last week, there was no commendation. And, 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 but usually he encourages them in some way. And then he turns around and there's a word of correction followed by what they need to do in order to get it right. The difference is that in this particular letter... We find that the pattern, Jesus starts out by sharing who he is, his character qualities, and, and what he has, and then he right, moves right to commendation, but there is no correction given. Just like in a church that we looked at earlier in Smyrna where there was no correction given, again, here to the church of Philadelphia, there is no correction. In fact, the tone of this letter is one of encouragement because they are described as a church of little strength. They are a people of little strength. And when it comes to giving praise, having little strength or weakness is not usually something that comes to mind. In fact, usually when somebody is struggling or they're dealing with weakness or uh, their efforts seem to be proven unsuccessful, they seem to remain small and weak, we don't usually give encouragement for that. In fact, usually we try to correct that. We try to encourage and say, hey, what's going on? How come you're not successful? How come you're not like, yeah, we talked about the church last week and the church last week was a church that had a reputation of being alive. You don't have much going on. They have a lot going on. 
And in our minds, we would look at little and we would look at weakness and we would look at lack of strength and we'd try to coach that up a little bit and say, okay, all right, what do you got to do? You got to get something in order. Something's not right. Something's not happening. But that's not what Jesus does here. In fact, Jesus is encouraging them. And, and he's no giving no word of correction, but rather he is encouraging them and saying, listen, I know you have little strength. But let me encourage you with some things. And so today, if you've got little strength, today if you are struggling and you're finding yourself in a position, maybe like this church, where you're battling weakness or you're battling little strength, I want to encourage you from God's word today with what he says to this church. And this is what he has to say. Four encouragements when you're feeling weak or when you're feeling as if you have little strength. Number one, you need to know this, Jesus opens doors. Jesus opens doors. He's the one that opens doors, and he's the one that shuts doors. Why is that important? Because this letter, as with the others, focuses on the character qualities of Jesus. This is, again, to get the audience and to get those who he's writing to to take the eyes off of themselves, off of their own strength, off of their own weakness, and begin to put them on him. And when we look at this, when we're feeling weak and insignificant, when we're feeling like, uh, like that's happening, oftentimes what we do is we focus on our own weakness. Anybody ever done that before? Come on. When things aren't going right, what do we focus on? My failures, my weakness. I can't. I can't do this. I can't. I remember when Moses... You know, Moses was, was somebody that, that you know, uh, when he was young, his mother put him in a little basket and, and sent him down the, the river, and, and, uh, and there he was drawn out, and he was raised as a, a daughter uh, or a son of Pharaoh's daughter and uh, raised in the palace, yet at the same time got to be raised by his mom. God worked the whole thing out. He was rising in. He was a, 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 basically Pharaoh's son, and so he's rising up, and he sees some things that aren't right as the Israelites, his own people, are being mistreated, and he takes matters into his own hands, and he kills an Egyptian soldier, and it backfires, and, and then he goes away, and he's away in the wilderness for 40 years as a shepherd and wandering around, and God gets a hold of him, right? There's a burning bush that's not burning up, probably a place he'd pass by, and God gets his attention, and God says, Moses, I'm calling you, and what does Moses say? I, I, I'm, I have little, I can't speak. I, 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 I can't do that. I tried that. I can't, I can't even talk. I, I, I can't speak for you. I, I can't do that. Over and over, excuse that, because what is Moses focusing on? He's focusing on himself. He's focusing on his weakness. He's focusing on his failure. He's focusing on what he can't do. And that's the problem. When we are weak, when we are little strength, oftentimes the focus gets on us and gets on what we can't do, what I haven't done, what I have messed up on before, what I don't have the talent or the, I can't, I can't, I can. we focus on ourselves. And, and what Jesus opens this letter, he reminds them of who he is. Listen, I know you have little strength, but I want you to start by looking at who I am. These are the words of him, and this is what he says, who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, and what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. We see three character qualities of Jesus. First of all, he's holy. God alone possesses absolute holiness. His holiness refers to being totally separate from sin, no taint of sin in this world. In other words, he is totally and absolutely pure. And it's significant because what Jesus is letting us know is his deity. He's saying, listen, I am God. I sit at the right hand of the Father. 
I am God. And he speaks from a perspective of one who is not tainted by any sin, is not tainted by anything. He, what he says is holy. He is not tainted. He is pure. And he is righteous in his actions and his character is flawless. How many of you know that's a good thing? Secondly, he's true. The opposite of fake. Genuine. He's real. He's authentic. And his truthfulness refers to his faithfulness, the fact that he is trustworthy. In other words, he never breaks his word. He fulfills his promises. He is trustworthy. He is true to his word, and he is faithful. And how many of you know in times of weakness, what are we often looking for? We want to know, well, can I trust him? Can I trust you? Can I trust you? And, and, and when somebody is not truthful, how many of you know trust is broken when you can't be truthful? When there's not truth involved, it is very difficult to trust. And so Jesus is reminding them, you can trust me because I am faithful and I am true and I am holy and I am untainted and you can trust me. Now, why is that important? Because here they were with little strength. They didn't have much. There was a lot of opposition. There was a lot of persecution. And they were trying to do their best to hang on to his word. And he is reminding them, I am true and I am faithful. And also, I'm reminding you that I have all authority. All authority. He says, I'm the one that opens doors and I'm the one that shuts doors. Now, this thing of the key of David really comes from the Old Testament. And really, to understand a lot of things in the New Testament, you've got to learn to read the Old Testament. And in the book of Isaiah, there's a prophecy that is given. And it's in a time when Hezekiah was king, Isaiah chapter 22. And when he was king, he placed a steward, that is somebody who was the keeper of the keys, who guarded the treasury, and who managed and steward everything that was in the treasury, and also managed and steward who would be able to come into the throne room and talk to King Hezekiah. And so he had somebody that was in charge of that, and they were the one that would manage, and they were the one that would open the door, or they would shut the door to all of the resources that were in the treasury and all of the access to the king. And listen to what God says in this message, Isaiah 22, starting in verse 20. In that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. Hilkiah, I'm sorry. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. And he will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder, look at this, the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Now this sounds very familiar to what we just read, doesn't it? Very familiar to what we just read. Jesus here in this letter is saying, let me remind you of something that happened in the Old Testament. And what happened is the steward that, I, that was in place was not doing a good job. And so he was replaced by another one. One by the name of Eliakim who was, who was called up. And Jesus is saying, listen, today I'm the Eliakim. I hold the keys to the house of David. Why? Because I am a son of David. I am the Messiah out of the house of David. Therefore, I hold the keys and I open the door to all the resources of heaven. All of the resources of the king are in my hands. All of the access to the king is in my hands. And I have the power to open up a door and shut a door. You might be weak, but listen, it is not about your weakness. It's not about you. It's about my strength and my authority. You may feel weak, 
But what you need to understand is when you trust me, I'm holy and I'm true and I have the keys to open up the access to whatever you need whenever you need it. I open up a door that no man can shut. And at the same time, I've got the power and the authority to shut a door. And listen, no man can open it. In fact, the theme of doors runs throughout Scripture. 189 times the word door is mentioned in Scripture. 173 different verses in different ways. There's the door of deeper relationship. We're going to look at this next week in Revelation chapter 3 when he's speaking to the church in Laodicea. I don't want to get ahead and start preaching on this. But it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes and opens the door, I will come in. And the King James Version says, I will sup with him and he with me. What is that? That's a deeper relationship. And Jesus isn't writing, as we'll see next week. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the church. And he's saying, listen, listen, somehow in your life I've ended up on the outside. And I'm knocking and I want a door of deeper relationship with you. There's a door of salvation. Christ says, I am the door. I am the gate. In other words, you come. I am the way. You come to the Father through me. I I have the keys and access to the very throne room, to the very king. You come through me. There's doors of temptation. You might remember back in Genesis when Cain and and Abel were going through their conflict and and Abel's offering, sacrifice was accepted and Cain's wasn't and he was all stewing and he was all upset. He's really mad at God, but he's going to take it out on his brother and bitterness is growing in his heart and he's reminded that, listen, listen, sin is crouching at the door. And it wants to master you. There's a, there's a temptation, a door of temptation where sin is crouching at the door. We see all these things of doors and then here, the door of opportunity. In fact, in his letter to Colossians, Paul said, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. How many of you know we need to pray if he is the keeper of the keys, if he is the opener of the doors, then we've got to pray and we've got to say, Jesus, we need you to open some doors for us. We need you to open some doors. We don't have the ability to open doors ourselves. We can't kick doors in ourselves. We don't have the authority to open doors, but we're going to pray because we know who has the authority to open doors. Paul understood that. They couldn't do it in their weakness. And Jesus is reminding them, listen, I open doors and I shut doors. And you're struggling and you're weak, but I have what you need. I have what you need. If you will seek me, I have what you need. Secondly, I want to encourage you today. Jesus works through weakness. Jesus works through weakness. I know that you have little strength. I know you have little strength. Listen, he's not correcting them for that. He's acknowledging, listen, there's a reality. You're struggling, you're weak. If Smyrna was a church that was poor but rich, then Philadelphia was a church that's weak but strong. And and this is what we see throughout Scripture. In God's economy, weakness is not all bad. In fact, weakness can become the pathway to see God work in his strength, work through his strength. And that's what we see. God moves towards weakness. Another scripture you might want to write down if you're struggling is Matthew 12, 20. He's quoting from the Old Testament again, and this is what it says. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. God sees the condition of this church, and he's got a different perspective. 
In fact, Jameson's commentary says of this church being consciously weak herself, she is the fitter object for God's power to rest on that God would have all the glory. Isn't that what it's all about? We think of it as insignificant. We look at at little and God calls it substantial. The woman with the two mites, we look and we go, oh, it's only two mites she's dropping in. And God says, no, no, no. She's given more than everybody else. Substantial. Substantial. He says, I want you to feed them. You know, here's this crowd of 5,000 or more people, and I want you to feed them. And they say, how are we going to feed all these people? And then, then Andrew comes up, and he, there's a little boy. He's got five loaves and two fish. I, what can we do? I mean, this is what we got. It's not much, but what can we do? And Jesus says, let's pray over it. Put it in my hands. We're going to pray over it and watch it multiply. Listen, in, what we think is insignificant, he says, listen, I can work with insignificant. I can work with weakness. In fact, that's what I move towards. I move towards weakness. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You have little strength. You don't realize that you're in the perfect place for God to show up. Paul had to learn this. In fact, at one point when he was praying about a thorn in his flesh and he said it just wouldn't go away, he began to learn about the grace of God. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will gladly, I will most glad, or therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What can come out of weakness? God's power can become manifest in your weakness. Thirdly, God honors faithfulness. Jesus honors faithfulness. Revelation 3 8 says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, but look at this, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. What he's saying is, is even in your weakness, even when things have come against you, even when there's been spiritual warfare and adversity that has come against you, you have held true, you have remained faithful, and Jesus honors faithfulness. He honors faithfulness. Open doors are not meant to be a pathway that's going to lead to ease. In fact, when you follow Christ and you begin to walk through the open doors that he provides, you've got to understand that the enemy hates the church. The enemy hates the church. I don't know if you know that. Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves believers. But the enemy hates Jesus. Therefore, he hates his church and he hates believers. And when you walk through the doors that God opens, the enemy is going to come after you. You just ought to expect it. The enemy will come after you. You will experience difficulty. You will experience hardship. The road will not always be easy. In fact, it's usually difficult. But you got to understand this area of faithfulness. Listen, Revelation 3.9 talks about it. I'll make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. It's the second time synagogue of Satan has been used in these letters, and it's referring to Jewish leaders and, and people who would not accept Jesus as the Messiah, but instead they opposed and they persecuted the church. And this church was being faithful to Jesus, even though they were experiencing opposition for it. The fact that Satan's title is used means that Satan, again, hates his church. 1 Corinthians 16, 8, and 9, Paul says this, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. So listen, this is a good thing. A wide door of effective work has opened to me. But look at this. There are many adversaries. 
Listen, we, we love open doors. God, open a door. God, open a door. But I want you to understand that when God opens a door, it doesn't mean easy. It may mean that you're going to experience some opposition. Because when you begin to follow God's open doors, the enemy is right there. And he is going to come against you. And you say, but I don't have the strength for this. Listen, if God opened up the door, God will give you the strength to remain faithful. Because he honors faithful. See, in our culture, comfort Oh, comfort. We often see adversity and trouble as a sign of weakness or a reason to quit. But you need to understand the spiritual battle we face is really an attack of the enemy. The church as believers has always been under pressure and will be under pressure. But this church remained faithful in two areas. They kept his word and they did not deny his name. Let me tell you something. That's still the pressure today is to deny the word of God. That's still the pressure today, deny the name of Jesus, to not keep the word of God. I don't know about you, but that's been the problem all the way from the beginning. If you remember, the, the, right in the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they're, they're going along, they're serving God, and all of a sudden they're around this tree, and, and, and Eve's there, and all of a sudden this serpent comes, and, and uh, hey, why don't you try this fruit? No, we, we can't eat of that fruit. We're not even able to touch it. And then what does Satan say? Did God really say? Did God really say? And you know what? Today, that's the same thing. The cultural message today that is anti-biblical message is, is that what God's word really says? Are you sure about that? Aren't you sure that that wasn't some archaic thing back then? But how can it apply today and to our culture? Oh, you can't believe that. You know what? You can't hold to that. You can't hold to this word. You've got to take a look at this. You've got to read the newspaper. You've got to read what, the, what Hollywood is telling you is true. You've got to take a look at what this culture tells you is true. You can't believe God's word. Oh, there's some good things, but you can't take it all. Just take the little bit you like and throw out stuff you don't like. Like, make up your own thing and that'll be okay. Wrong! The enemy and the church is always under pressure to not keep the word of God. But I want to encourage you. God honors faithfulness. He honors faithfulness to his word. He honors faithfulness to his word. The enemy will pressure you, but we've got to remain faithful to his word and then we're always encouraged, you got to deny the name of Jesus, right? Deny the name of Jesus. Deny the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus. You can't say Jesus. Don't say Jesus. And you, you say all kinds of other things. Don't say Jesus. Why can't you? Why can you go into a place and you can talk about the Quran and you can talk about Muhammad and you can talk about Buddha and you can talk about all these other people, but you can't say Jesus? Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. Because those folks are dead, and he's alive. Amen. Why is there opposition to Jesus? Why can't we say, because there's power, and you got to understand, there is power in Jesus' name. There is power in the name of Jesus. And this is Revelation 3, 10, and 11, that you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Listen, patiently endure. Patiently endure. Patiently endure. Listen, hang on. You have remained faithful. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. I'm going to honor that. I'm going to honor that. It's not going to be immediate, but I'm going to honor honor that hold on hold on hold on deliverance is coming hold on 
William Barclay de- de- describes this word, uh, this word um, uh, endurance as, as hupomene, I don't know, anyway, like that, like hippomene, I don't know, something like that. But really, it, it, it means having the quality to stand facing the storm. Having the quality to stand facing the storm. Struggling against difficulty and opposition. It's an active supernatural resistance. And you know what? In the Old Testament, a word that is, is very similar in the Hebrew is a word quava. It's where we find it in Isaiah 40, 31. That scripture we love. But those who wait upon the Lord, wait, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. How many of you love that verse? I love that verse. But that word wait is the word quava. It's the same kind of a thing. And where what the meaning comes from is like a, a, a rope. Now, you might have a little, little piece of that rope, a little string of that, that rope. It's really tiny, and you can break it very easily. But then you take, and you begin, to, you begin to braid it with another, and you begin to braid it with another, and you begin to braid it with another. And there is strength when you come together. There is strength when you come together. And that's what that word means. That word means to bind up and, and, and to strength. These letters are not just written to individual believers. They're written to a church and friends I'm going to tell you that when you're in a place of weakness when you're in a place of resistance and your your weakness is down you cannot do it alone you've got to bind yourself together with the people of God under the headship of Jesus Christ and there you will find strength strength in community when we come together then we are strong your little strength comes through patience endurance and that might be something that is breakable, but when you begin to, begin to braid it with the promises of God, when you begin to braid it by walking in the Spirit, when you begin to get on your knees and you lift your hands high and you begin to get around the people of God, you find that the Spirit of God and the people of God and the community of God, no matter how weak you may feel, you will find yourself unbreakable and unmovable. If you're feeling weak or struggling, braid yourself with the Holy Spirit and His church and His word today. And Jesus will honor your faithfulness. Don't give up. Don't give up. Why? Because there's an eternal promise here as well. Friends, how many know one day a judgment is coming? One day we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the promise that we get is to hold on and not give up, and he'll spare from the latter trial. Fourth encouragement, Jesus promises protection and stability. The one who is victorious, verse 12. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down from heaven, from my God, and I will also write on them a new name. The city of Philadelphia, you may not know this, was actually built on a fault line. It was known to have earthquakes. In fact, several occasions, the damage was so great that people had to move out of the city. They couldn't even live in the city. Then Roman Caesar took interest and came to rebuild the city, and he gave it a new name. The city then would experience aftershocks because of how close they were to the fault line. And so what we see here is is kind of a reference to that idea that they had little strength, and they were in a place where it was constantly, everything felt like it was constantly shaking, and there was no stability. How many know when you are facing opposition, when you have little strength, how many know you can feel like everything is just shaking? But this is what Jesus promises. He says, you're going to be a pillar, a pillar in the temple of my God. Pillar, what does a pillar represent? A pillar is a stabilizer. It's a stabilizer. You put it in and it it holds up. Even when things are shaking, there's a, a pillar of strength. You might be weak, but I will make you strong. 
You might be asked to deny my name, but hold on. I'm going to give you a new name in the city of my God, and you are going to be a pillar. You have a reputation for being weak, but I'm going to give you a reputation of being strength for my glory. And like Philadelphia today, friends, as we close this message, you might be struggling. You might be feeling weak. And if your strength is waning today, then I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. You say, but I can't do it on my own. I can't open doors. You don't have to open doors. You need to pray to the one who is opening doors and watch and see what he does because he holds the keys. But I don't have much strength. I don't have many resources. You know what? There is one who speaks to you today who is holy and who is true and who holds the keys of David. He holds the keys to all the resources that you need and the very access to the Father. He is the door. He is the access. And we come through Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you today, don't give up. Keep his word. Do not deny his name, church. Keep his word and do not deny his name because he honors faithfulness. He honors faithfulness. And he will provide, he will provide strength and he will provide stability for you if you will hang on. So I encourage you today, don't force open doors. Pray and look for the doors that he opens for you. Don't, I, I want to encourage you today, don't let Satan and his attacks keep you from hanging on to God's word. Don't deny his word or his name, but remain faithful, and he will give you strength, stability, and protection. Let's bow our heads today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pray for you today. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm just really struggling, I'm lacking strength. I've just been under the attack, I've been under attack of the enemy, and I just... Man, there's just some things that have been, been happening, and I need, I need strength today. I need strength today. If that's you, and you'd say, Pastor, I'm, just, I'm in need of strength today. Will you slip up your hand today? I want to pray for you. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Father, the attacks of the enemy, man, they are just raging. They are, they are, they are strong. Lord, we need your strength today. I just pray, Lord, for those that raise their hands today that that need a strength that comes from you, a strength that comes from you, a strength, Lord, that only comes from you. Father, we're experiencing weakness. We're experiencing difficulty. We're experiencing adversity. Father, I just pray for those that are in the battle, that are in the fight right now, that are, that are just facing that. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you will strengthen them, that you will encourage them today as you did the church of Philadelphia, that you will encourage them that as they remain loyal and faithful to you, as they remain loyal and faithful, that, God, they will see the strength that you provide and the doors that you open that no man can shut. I pray, Lord, that you will just give us eyes to see and wisdom to see the doors you're opening and to not try to force the doors that you've shut. Father, in the name of Jesus, strengthen your people today. Strengthen your church today. We call on you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we stand together today? Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.